Thank you for being with us this morning, Blue Valley Baptist Church. It's great to be a part of a church that does not shy away from singing about the blood of Jesus, knowing that Christ dying on the cross for us, the blood is what gives us life and hope. So I'm grateful to be a part of a church family that is committed to that. A big night Friday for our seniors, a banquet on the Antioch campus, and there were more than 20 seniors and their families that were there celebrating, reminded me again of how grateful I am for our student pastors on both campuses, AIM on this campus and Micah on the Antioch campus, and their continued investment, involvement, spiritual development in the lives of our students. And then for all of you who have served in the student ministry somewhere along the lines over the last seven years or in the children's ministry the six years previous to that or the preschool ministry four years previous to that, you have had a direct hand in the spiritual development of our students who are getting ready to launch out. So for those of you who have done that in some way, shape, or form, thank you for investing in the lives of our kids Big days ahead. I'm also so grateful for our seniors, this class in particular, because their commitment is to never graduate from their faith, to continue walking. You know, there are some who see this as a finishing point and leaving their parents and basically getting to go and abandon the faith, abandon relationship with God, and live it to the fullest, the way the world communicates it. And these seniors in particular, those who stood in front of you this morning, are so committed to walking with Jesus, it hasn't even crossed their minds to walk away. It's a testimony to them, to their parents, to you, and to the Lord Jesus for transforming and changing the lives of those within our ministry. So thank you for all who have been involved in a part of their lives in that way. You've made a difference. And that difference we will continue to see as life goes. Well, not only was Friday a big night, yesterday was a big day as well. May the 4th be with you. (laughs) Star Wars fan, you know all about that. 1977, that movie was released. And I, like every other boy my age, could see myself being Luke Skywalker battling Darth Vader. This evil, personified individual who was a part of the dark side. As those movies progressed and we see the last of that trilogy, Vader on his deathbed, of course, claiming, stating, I was not always like this, returning in some way to uh, the force, I guess we could say. But that story really never was told until 16 years later when the prequel trilogy was brought about and it showed Anakin Skywalker, this little guy who cared about his family and people, and as those movies progress, seeing that in hopes of protecting them or saving them, he was duped by a sinister politician who corrupted him, and he made the choice to join the dark side. Well, in the same way as that was a prequel trilogy, we can see the first three chapters of Genesis really are the prequel to the entire Bible. Genesis 1, which we talked through last week, creation, and then today, in particular, looking at Genesis chapter 3, seeing initially purity, life undefiled, unaltered, 
by sin, and then sin being entered by choices made, and how that, since that time, has corrupted every one of us. Once again, thank you, Adam and Eve, for that choice, but we don't want to get too rough on them, as we're going to see when we walk through the chapters in particular. This morning, we are going to look at sin as defined by its essence, sin as identified by its experiences, expressions, and finally, sin is experienced by its effects. Before we do that, before we dive in, let's pray together. So Lord, this morning, we pray that you would help us. This chapter, in particular, key to a Christian worldview. God, without the first three chapters of Genesis, Genesis really, we uh, would struggle with understanding life in the way that you began it and where we are today. So we pray that you would help us open up our ears, our hearts, our minds to your truth today. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we jump into chapter 3, I wanted to start in chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. It's important to have this as background or context before we start jumping in. So let's begin reading Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's interesting, the timeline of that, of God talking with Adam, spending time saying, you can't have of this, and then realizing it's not good for him to be alone. I need to create another. And so we see how he took the rib of Adam and he formed woman and how they began this relationship, a suitable helper for him. We then jump in to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, so here we see the serpent, the snake. Oftentimes this chapter can be looked at possibly incorrectly as the snake can be the focus, or Satan can be the focus. The reality of this chapter is to show us mankind and sin and the consequences that follow. Not a background study, although that could be done as well, of Satan. It also is important for us to see that it doesn't say that all snakes, snake generic term used here, did not have the ability to walk and talk and have conversation with. It's obvious in this, and you can see if you study it further in different commentaries that this is an individual moment in time where Satan embodied himself within a snake to be able to communicate, to deceive the woman. So we need to make sure we've got the right, once again, not just the context of Genesis 2, but walking into 3, understanding those pieces. And here he goes. He begins immediately. Come on, woman. Did God actually say? Creating a doubt. Now remember in Genesis 2, we saw God talk specifically to the man before 
Eve, and so of course the serpent would go to the one, the serpent would go to the one who did not have a conversation directly initially with God about this. So he throws it in there. Surely he did not say that. Did he actually say that? And the woman said to the serpent, as truth, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree. That is true, but look what she adds. That is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. So she just added to the words of God. So not only can't we eat of it, we also can't touch it. So she distorted the truth of what that was, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. There he is again. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And here comes the big power play, the struggle for Adam and Eve. You will be like God if you do this. He understands and knows that you're going to be like him. And the behind the scenes, he really can't take that. Knowing good and evil. Now, it's true that today we know good and evil, but we know as well, especially with last week's message, that there is only one God. He is unlike any other. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, three in one. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So before we really criticize Eve too much on this, for me personally, an apple tree probably would not be that big of a temptation. Apples are okay. But what I see for me possibly that tree would be, that tree would be a chocolate tree. <laughs> big, juicy, dark chocolate bars on that tree. And you're thinking, you're walking in the garden. It's all you're doing. You live there. So every day you walk by it. Mmm, chocolate. <laughs> Keep walking tend to the flock, do whatever you got to do, walk back next day. Mmm, boy. Ooh, that smells good. Got to keep going. Eventually, caving, grabbing that big dark chocolate bar and pounding it down as quickly as possible. Maybe chocolate's not your temptation, maybe not even wrong for you to consume in your life, but Maybe it's something different. An addiction, possibly. That thing that seems to hold you in chains. Uh, maybe it's your tongue. Maybe you can't stop talking negatively about people and it's gossip. And you love the feeling of destroying individuals with your words. Maybe, maybe that's your tree. Maybe it's that lust for power. I've got to have more. I've got to be the top dog. And when I don't get it in the world, I'm going to get it at home. And my family's going to know who's in charge. We verbally, possibly even physically abuse our family. We see it in the news every day. Maybe it's in general just a rebellious disobedience 
because of placing ourselves on our thrones of our lives as kings or queens of it. Whatever it is for you, whatever that area is, whatever that tree is, don't be too tough on Eve because we've got them too. Continuing, then what happened? The eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. So what'd they do? Oh my goodness. Never knew this before. I'm embarrassed. Get the fig leaves. Get the whatever they use to sew those things together and let's cover ourselves. But it doesn't just stop there. They also didn't want to be seen as naked by God. So they had to cover themselves. And then what did they do? We got to hide. We continue. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. There it is, the hiding, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now don't mistake this. We have to know God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And he is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. So God wasn't wondering, my goodness, where are Adam and Eve? I can't find them. He knew where they were. He was seeking confession. Because they had sinned. And in their shame, they hid themselves. And they hid. Now we do the same thing, don't we? When we sin, which all of us have that, many times we hide. Or we're prone to give a half-hearted, hey, I'm sorry about that, but as far as changing our lives or allowing Christ to change us from the inside out, we hold on to, continue in that sin that we're wrestling with. And in essence, not really making things right with the Lord, allowing ourselves to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, which is what we sung earlier. So here they are, hiding. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. Shame, fear. Fear, by the way, identified, defined in Proverbs 1, 7 as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Our fear of God, of who he is relationally, walking with him, understanding who he is, is important for us. Verse 11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Obviously. The man said, and here we go, the beginning of the blame game. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Listen, God, it's her fault. But in some ways, really, it's your fault because you gave me this woman. So it's kind of your fault and it's kind of her fault. And it's really not my fault. The blame game. Then the Lord God said to the woman, okay, well, let's see what she has to say. What is this that you have done? And the woman said, was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. It was my fault. He, he presented this thing to me and it's 
How can I not? So the Lord God turns his attention to the serpent. And by the way, I have never been a huge fan of snakes. I don't know about you. When I served as a student pastor in Joplin, Missouri in the 90s, one of my workers had a huge boa constrictor. Every time I went into his house, full transparency, scared me to death. The only time I've had encounters with snakes, when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, three different times, one, a rattlesnake by our trash can, scared me to death, screaming like a little girl, running off. Second time, running down the highway, believe it or not, snake coming after me, rattlesnake, scared me to death. Third time, and, and possibly the worst, walking up one of the mountains, hiking one morning, the snake coming after me. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm, thought it was. It's probably 50 miles away. Scared me to death. I just don't like snakes. I can totally relate to Indiana Jones. Snakes, it had to be snakes. If you've seen that movie, he calmed me not. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and dwelled in that moment by Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And here's the short-term consequence for the snake, for snakes in general, for that creature. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then here's the long-term consequence. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Basically telling him in that moment, there will be one who comes, who will crush your head. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus did just that. Came, lived a perfect life, died, rose again, crushed the head of Satan. And one day, crushing the head of Satan will take place eternally when God comes back for us and when we are done on this planet. We will experience victory with him forever. Short-term consequence, long-term consequence. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, short-term consequence, in pain you shall bring forth children. Sorry, ladies. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Here's the long-term consequence, but he shall rule over you. Basically saying the way that they were originally in the garden, the way it was designed were these two functioning and working together. But then as we see throughout the Bible, New Testament, men being stated as the spiritual leaders of our households. We are responsible ultimately for the condition of our families. We share that. I don't know what your perspective or viewpoint is as far as spouses. Maybe it's one of complementarianism where different people, different roles, but ultimately there are things that are designed and assigned to each. Well, there would be conflict potentially because of this that's taken place for the future for men and women in their marriage relationships, long-term consequence. And Adam, he said... Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Here's the short term. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Here's the long term. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You will never conquer the ground. What is one true thing about grass? It continues to grow. 
Mowing will never be finished unless we absolutely go to a rock garden or whatever our yard looks like. There may be weeds that prop up, but we're never going to have full conquering over that thing. Whatever we pursue in life, we will never feel a sense of full satisfaction because of what we've accomplished if we look at it from the side of our flesh. We cannot conquer things without Christ in this world. Short-term, long-term. One more note before we continue. We realize, don't we, not just from looking at this passage, but we realize that individually we will all face God one day. So if we get to heaven and we see God, first question he asks us, why should I let you into my heaven? What's our response? Many would say, well, I was a good person. I did a lot of good things in my life. I didn't hurt anyone, at least not on purpose. Or maybe it's a different line. I went to church. I was consistent. People thought I was a a follower of Jesus. And then he'll look at us and he'll evaluate us based on what? The blood of Jesus. Is your sin and is your life covered by the blood or is it not? He will see all. And in that moment, if we say, well, I never did that or never made a decision because Tiffany gave me chocolate. He's going to look at me and he's going to tell me. This isn't about Tiffany. This is about your personal choice to surrender your life to me or not, to follow me or not. And you don't get a second chance. This is it. We will all face him one day. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And this next verse is really good, and we can't miss it. In spite of their sin, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of what we're going to see that's going to take place, God still loved and cared for these two. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So in spite of their rebellion, he loved them. In spite of our rebellion, our condition from birth being sinners. In spite of that, at our ugliest and our worst, God loved us. In spite of our decisions to sin and to live apart and to live in rebellion, he loves us and wants that relationship and he's merciful and he's good. Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. There again, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, together, in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the new way to the tree, the way to the tree of life. So here they are, driven from the garden. Consequences not just for them, but for all who followed, separated from God in this intimate relationship that he initially created us for the garden, which one day, for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus and we enter heaven and we spend an eternity with God, every tear will be wiped away. Purity returned. 
free flow of relationship with God, the God of the universe who loves us in spite of it. It's coming for us. But there are consequences to our sin and to our actions. So first and foremost, sin is defined by its essence. What is sin? It is rebellion against God. And we are all guilty of it, every one of us. Maybe even this morning on the way to church. How's your vehicle look? Don't tell me that Satan doesn't get involved in some of that and distract us and cause conflict even on the way in. And we do realize, right, that our struggle is not against people. It's against the principalities and rulers of this dark world. If any of us could see the spiritual warfare that takes place for our lives, knowing our, we have a real enemy, Satan, who desires to kill, steal, and destroy us, is actively at work, especially if we put ourselves in line with following Jesus and loving him. He is actively at work to destroy us. If any of us could see that realm of the angels battling demons and the forces that are around us, according to what we see in God's word, we would all be crippled, face down on the ground. We couldn't function. He protects us from that. We realize that warfare is happening, right? So when we say something negative about someone, we displace whatever it is, and we allow him to win in our lives. My battle's not against Tiffany with the chocolate thing. It's against the principalities and rulers of the world. No wonder so many Christians live in defeat, can't shake away shame, stay hidden. Possibly because we're not being a church. How are you doing in that area of your life? Sin is rebellion against God, and it causes conflict between he and us and between people. Sin is identified by its expression. Sin is an inward drive of our lives and hearts, rebelling against God that comes out with the way we act. So the actions are problems, but they're not the root. The root is what's inside. Sin. Finally, we see Sin is identified, experienced by its effects, relationship broken. But for those who know Jesus, one day, relationship restored. Last story will be done. Yesterday, it was uh, uh, Tiffany uh, graduated from Mid-America, which was awesome. Uh, 23 years of work. Uh, her family's actually with us today. Uh, her dad and his wife flew in from Brazil. My parents drove up. She's got two sisters from Texas that drove up some of their kids. I mean, it just the support. Um, well, there was a lady at the end who got up, the, the keynote. Her name was Tammy Jo Schultz. She was a Navy pilot for years and uh, started flying for Southwest Airlines. Well, you re may remember this news event, April 17th of 2018, <coughs> Uh, there was a Southwest airline that she was responsible for that one of the engines combusted. And so all of the gauges on the inside went crazy. The cabin depressurized. And here she is grasping for her oxygen mask, 
her co-pilot as well. She said that if we've ever ridden in a convertible, which most of us have, 60 miles an hour, the wind you experience when it's hitting you in the face, pretty intense. She said, multiply that 10 times. <clears throat> and that's what they were experiencing in the, in the cabin. <clears throat> so in the midst of that, she calm, unlike me with snakes, I would have been screaming, we're going down. She calmly communicates to the cabin, we've got a landing spot, it's going to be in Philadelphia, everything's going to be okay. After that, communicated with the stewardesses that were on the plane and then proceeded to, when she couldn't see, couldn't hear, land that plane, did so. 148 lives saved, one lost. She, of course, praying the entire way, being a believer. And she said it was really interesting afterwards because her conversation with not only the safety personnel that arrived to help get everyone off the plane, but for those on the plane, they said it was just interesting, strange. Peace came over us. We weren't panicked. We knew you had it. The destination, we knew where we were going. So as I sat there and I listened to that story, my mind immediately went to, that's us. This world is chaos. It is chaos. If you don't believe it, turn the news on for 10 minutes. It is a big, gigantic mess. And even as followers of Jesus, if our trust is displaced, and if we're focused on the things around us and we lose our attention that's supposed to be firmly fixed on Jesus, we too will be without hope. And not only us, but everyone around us who knows that we claim this Jesus. In the midst of the craziness, she was settled, believed, hoped, stable. In the midst of the craziness, if you are a follower of Jesus, are you? Do people see it in your life? Lost and believers alike. And if they don't, your life and mine need to be reoriented back to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, who is now at the right hand of the throne of God. People, he's got it. Whatever it is in your life. He's got it. Do you believe it? Because God's word says he does. Let's pray.